0: Assalamu alaykum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Good evening. You are listening to Radio Islam and I'm your host, Tariq el For those of you who are new to Radio Islam, we welcome you. Thanks for joining us. We are a live call-in talk show broadcasting from Chicago on WCEV 1450 AM. And you can hear our live stream at www.wcev1450.com. Or listen to us on the TuneIn app at WCEV. That is uh, that's a new little wrinkle we've thrown in for you. If you haven't already done so, keep up with us on social media by following and liking us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Radio Islam USA. That's at Radio Islam USA. If you have a comment or question you'd like to pose throughout the course of tonight's show, well, you're going to have to wait because tonight's show is pre recorded. Generally, you can call us at 312 750 1178. But instead, why don't you send us a tweet or post on our Facebook page or just inbox us. Uh, Now, well, before I jump into everything, I'm going to say hopefully everybody is doing well. You are feeling You're in good spirits and uh, you had a great weekend. Uh, I will start off with this uh, because we're doing something which is a bit special tonight. Uh, And I'll preface it with this. First of all, there's nothing new or particularly special about candidate forms local, state, or federal. But this past Saturday's Gubernatorial Candidate Forum held at the Mecca Center in Willowbrook, Illinois, was a first. This forum marked the first time in Illinois history that a Muslim organization was the sole sponsor, and the CIOGC was that sponsoring organization. That's the Council of Islamic Organizations of Greater Chicago. Uh, which is a federation of over 60 organizations representing a Chicagoland Muslim community in excess of 400,000. The candidates in attendance were Illinois State Senator Daniel Biss, Executive Director of Ceasefire Violence Interrupters T.O. Hardiman, and the former president of the Merchandise Mart Properties, uh, as well as the former chair of the Board of Trustees for the University of Illinois, Chris Kennedy. So, that being said, Uh, The forum began with opening remarks by CIOGC Executive Director Abdullah Mitchell uh, and was moderated by Vice Chair of CIOGC Civic Engagement Committee, Humaira Massif.
1: What does that mean? That means every vote counts. Properly elected every four years by a majority and there are no term limits so they can be re-elected over and over again. So today is your opportunity, audience, to hear from the candidates, from some of the candidates, about the issues that affect all aspects of our everyday life. Candidates, this is your opportunity to get to know us. And Brother Abdullah articulated very well, and I don't need to repeat his words, that the Muslim community of Illinois is a part of every sector of the state. And we are represented in every profession, in every um, segment of the society that you will encounter. We are roughly about 400,000 strong across the state of Illinois. Voter registration numbers are going up every single year. And as you know, if you recall uh, the 2010 election, Governor Quinn won by less than 32,000 votes. And in this last election, Governor Rauner's margin was a little bit bigger he won by about 140,000 votes. Both of those numbers are within the capacity of this community to affect the election fully. We've been a part of America from its very inception. We have been your doctors, your lawyers, your teachers, small business owners. So a lot of the questions that you are asked by other communities are questions that affect our community as well. So we welcome you and we look forward to hearing from you. We wanna know how you plan to shape our state for the next four years and how we will have a seat at your table as you do that. So the rules of the forum, audience. This is a candidates forum. This is a question and answer session where the moderator will ask the questions. We asked for submissions for questions um, from the community and we received some and they will be um, asked by the designated audience members. Um, At the end of the forum, if candidates have time, we have about a half hour before the herd comes in. We can have um, some time with the candidates and if you have any um, things you'd like to ask, you can do so at that time. Um, But for our forum today, as our first forum, we'll ask the questions from the podium. Um, Because we do not have a uh, voting record for uh, Mr. Kennedy or Mr. Hardiman, Senator Biss is the only elected official um, on our panel today, we have a little bit of extra time with you to understand um, what it is that motivates you to run for public office. So let's begin, um, Mr.
2: Hardiman, with you. That's uh, I'm Tio Hardiman, running for governor. Uh, this is my second run for governor. I ran for governor back in 2014 and secured close to uh, 30% of the state vote. Uh, my running mate, her name is Patricia Avery. She's uh, a former county commissioner from Champaign, Urbana, and a former head of the NAACP. I was raised a Muslim as well. I just want to say that I'm one of your brothers sitting up here today. And I'm one of the only candidates that stood up for the Palestinian people stood up against the Iraqi war, stood up on all these issues. Uh, uh, I'm a man of principle. I'm running to become the first minority governor of the state of Illinois. And I want to say this to you. I'll take that. I'll take that. that. And I'll say this as well. Um, If you were raised in the USA, and I got it wrong the other day on the uh, statewide debate, but if you were raised in the USA, I plan to make sure you stay. Alright, if you were raised in the U.S., that's the doctor, I want to thank you. So, um, with that being said, you know, we have a 2020 plan which represents a perfect vision to move the state of Illinois forward. Our plan includes supporting all of the different issues out here, the progressive tax, House Bill 453, which is the financial transaction tax, and we can use the new revenue to help you know, economic development here in the state of Illinois, and I do support uh, you know uh, the state of Illinois as being a, a sanctuary state. That's very important, but when it comes down to issues in the Islamic community, I'm your brother, I've been there, I'm a former member of the Masjid over on Belmont and Roscoe. I used to go there when I was a little younger, and I've done a lot of work with Brother Rami, People know Brother Rami, just want to put it out there, but I've done extensive amounts of work in the Islamic community. Thank you, Brother Thank you, Mr. Rami. Hi, Senator
3: Biss. Good morning.
1: Good morning. Just so you're um, caught up, we've just begun. Um, we had our introduction by our executive director. Um, Mr. Hardiman had an opportunity to, um, to give his introductory remarks and talk about why he's running. So we'll have an opportunity for both of you in this forum. Most of the questions will be from the podium. There will be a few from the audience. You will each have two minutes time. Um, rebuttal, rebuttal paddles. You will each have two minutes' time to answer the questions, and you'll have an opportunity to rebuttal, um, and we'll give you these paddles. So if you would like to exercise that option, if you would just flag me, and and, uh, we'll give you a little bit of time to rebuttal as well. Um, So hopefully we won't need that, because two minutes is pretty generous. So um, let me move to um, Mr. Kennedy. If you would please tell us why it is that you are running for public
4: office. Well, first let me um, let me say how nice it is to be among all of you today. It, it was incredible to hear the uh, recital of the types of professions that are represented here, because it reflects my own understanding. People I met when I first came in, and so many of you I have met over the course of the last year: doctors, and lawyers, scientists, researchers, engineers first and second generation immigrants to the United States. It's so different than my own family's experience in coming to America. We weren't doctors. We weren't engineers. We arrived in Boston, 1840s and 1850s after the Irish potato famine. When we arrived in the United States, the Irish Catholics were treated as dirty, as filthy, as ignorant, as unteachable, as subhuman, as a threat to society and a threat to the safety of the people who were already in the United States. They had these signs in Boston that said N-I-N-A over the service entrance of the restaurants and hotels. N-I-N-A said no Irish need apply. No Irish need apply for a job because we're not gonna hire you. We were excluded from any sort of profession. Couldn't be a waitress or waiter, a busboy. Couldn't work in the hotels and restaurants. Definitely not in science or doctors, medical field, bankers, any of that. So we did what came naturally. We organized and had big families. We weren't afraid to go into the other neighborhoods, organize the Italians, the African Americans. And in doing that, we took over cities like Boston and Chicago, New York. And and then, and then we created the union movement to provide our brothers and sisters and cousins with a safe work environment. And then we created the Democratic Party, took what it was and changed it to become the party of labor, the party of immigrants, the party that wanted to protect the American dream in the United States. That American dream is represented here today. If you want to know what's best about this country, if you want to know what's best about this country, all you have to do is look around this room. And I want to do, for the rest of Illinois, what you all have done for your own families. Thank you very much. Senator Biss.
5: Uh, thank you very much, and good morning. It's an, it's an honor to be here. Uh, and I'm sorry I was late uh, from a previous uh, event this morning. I'm Daniel Biss, I'm state senator in the 9th district. I live in Evanston with uh, my wife Karen, our two children, Elliot and Theodore, who are in second and fourth grade. And we find ourselves in this very, very troubled moment in American history. We find ourselves in a time when there are completely reprehensible attacks on immigrant communities, on refugees, when Islamophobia is reigning, when hate crimes are on the rise, and when Very often, it's not totally clear whose side our government is on. I'm running for governor because it's time for us to build a new political movement that lifts up people across the state of Illinois. I'm I'm running for governor because in this moment, with Donald Trump as our president and Bruce Rauner as our governor, we have a choice about what kind of politics we want to have, about what kind of democratic party we intend to be. And I think it's time for us to be a party that lifts everyone up, and I think it's time for us to be a party that stands up aggressively and strongly and clearly and universally in every room and every corner of this state in support of the idea that we are stronger when we welcome everyone, that we are healthier when we are diverse, and that there is absolutely no place in American society for the kind of attacks that we've seen from this president. This is a complicated thank you. complicated time in Illinois with a governor who has failed, who has harmed vulnerable people across Illinois with with a budget shutdown that made our state unable to do its core responsibility of providing for the very people on behalf of whom government exists and we have to respond to that by deciding whether it's enough to just say no or whether it's time to build a new kind of society whether it's time to build a new politics that stops locking people out and begins to lock everyone in that stops this idea that if you are born of the right amount of wealth and the right family, if you're of a particular race, then everything's fine, and if you're in a different situation, it's time to roll the dice. I'm Daniel Buss, and Daniel am running for governor to build a movement, to have a state that works for everyone. and it's an honor to be with you this morning.
1: We'll begin with the formal portion of our program where the questions will now be timed. The first question will be with regards to budget. This is the third year in a row that America's fifth most populous state has failed to pass a budget, which is also required by the state constitution. What do you consider the major reasons for the impasse, and how will you get a budget passed? We'll begin with Senator Biss.
5: Thank you. This budget impasse has been really vicious, and I I want to be really clear about naming what's happened as we've seen social service providers close down, as universities and community colleges have been under extraordinary stress, as students have left the state of Illinois to seek affordable higher education elsewhere, as immigrants have been left without services, as violence has increased. And as many students have been unable to afford to leave, but also unable to afford to attend community colleges and universities here in Illinois. The consequences have been vicious. So the immediate source of this is very simple. Bruce Rauner is an ideologue. Bruce Rauner has decided that he would use the budget as a tool to obtain leverage to achieve a vicious anti-worker agenda, to achieve an ideological agenda that he's never going to get done because the legislature is never going to agree with him but he's going to take the state down with him as he fails to persuade us to do the wrong thing. That's what's happened in the last few years. When I'm governor, we won't have a governor like that. But let's be honest for a second, that for years before that, we didn't have a budget that was good enough either. We didn't have a budget that was adequate in the way that it supported vulnerable communities. We didn't have a budget that enabled us to fund schools properly in every corner of the state of Illinois. We didn't have a budget that was funded by a tax system that was actually fair and based upon how a modern economy would work. And Instead, we did have a budget that overburdened the middle class and the working poor because the wealthy, by virtue of their role in funding the political system, got a set of outcomes that they wanted. And so it's not enough only to avoid the aggressive brinkmanship of the Rauner administration. We need to rethink what an appropriate state budget in Illinois looks like. We need to have a budget that is funded by asking the wealthiest to pay their share, something which has not happened for decades. We need to have a budget that invests in educational and economic opportunity in every single corner of the state of Illinois. And we have to have a budget that adequately funds social services for people in need of mental health treatment, substance abuse treatment, immigrant services line item, and more. These things are doable and they're achievable, but they're not achievable with the old system and the old way. It's time for us to re-envision what's possible and build a state that works for all of us.
1: Thank you. Uh, Mr. Hardman.
2: Before I answer that question, I, I would like to just say that no human being should be seen as, a, as an illegal immigrant or an immigrant. We are human beings, period. I just want to put that out. Uh, you. With regards to the budget, Mr. Hardman. Before I answer the question, I just had to say that, though. This is the thing, the reason the budget has not passed and we had the impasse with the budget is because we got these billionaires that continue to run for office, and they're, they're running as a hobby. They're running for more power. They would like to seize control of the state's assets for their personal development, and what's going on, you have a battle of the titans. You got Bruce Rauner, who ran on the premise that he was gonna shake up Springfield but the only people he shook up is the working class and poor people of Illinois. He's fighting against, Ron, uh, against Mike Madigan. And Bruce Rauner went on the record and said he was not in charge. So if you're not in charge, why don't you step down and let a real governor step up and pass the budget, okay? Now, the, the, way, the way that we can balance the budget here is, first of all, the progressive tax. We need to tax the wealthy according to their income status. We need to pass House Bill 453, which is the financial transaction tax, to raise the revenue to help balance the budget to a degree. We have a pension crisis that's $130 billion. We're spending $25 million a day on it, it's $9 billion a year. We need a a governor that's going to really lead this state in the right direction and work across both aisles and get the budget passed on time, a balanced budget at that. So the thing is, what's going on here is when you have these, see, voting for these billionaires is going against the grain in regards to everything we're fighting against in America right now. And that's a true story because the reality, a lot of these billionaires, they don't know how it feels to, put, to take money out of your piggy bank to put gas in your car. They don't know people that are receiving food stamps. I know people that receive food stamps here, you know, across the state of Illinois. They don't know how it feels to uh, have your loved one be killed right on seven in Cottage Grove by gun violence. So when you stop the budget, I just want to say this, when you uh, hold the budget up, a lot of people don't, do not get the services they deserve statewide. And you have high unemployment, you have all kinds of issues taking place, but when you run into governorship from the top down instead of the bottom up, you cannot identify with the regular people out here. And that's another reason why we must say no to these billionaires on all levels. Just say no to them and vote for somebody that comes from the ground level up. Thank you,
4: Mr. Kennedy. So the the budget debacle in the state of Illinois was man-made. It didn't have to be like that. It doesn't have to be that way in the future. People ask me what kind of Democrat I am. I say I'm a Kennedy Democrat, a Ted Kennedy Democrat. (laughs) Because Teddy was the most important man in my life as a child and helped form my worldview. Kenny never believed that compromise was surrender. He had friends on both sides of the aisle. They would rail on him on the Senate floor, and then he'd go back and slap him on the back in the in the cloakroom. and And he worked at it. He, it was difficult, but he ended up as one of the most successful legislators in American history. I don't think that we had a budget impasse in Springfield. I don't think that's an accurate way to describe what occurred. I think Bruce Browner is a libertarian, just like he wears that Carhartt jacket around to disguise himself as a pipe fitter just walked off a construction site to (laughs) attack the very people he pretends to dress like, so too do I believe that he dressed like a traditional pro-business Republican. But he's a libertarian. He doesn't believe in communal purpose. You look around this this room this morning, so many people are part of big families. The Kennedys believe that Government is just an extension of family, of the communal purpose that our families are formed to serve. Early states in the United States, places like Virginia and Massachusetts, they call themselves commonwealths, where everybody came together to create commonwealth for each other. That's what I think the state of Illinois is meant to do. Bruce Rauner doesn't believe in that communal purpose. He doesn't believe in those 800 social service agencies. He doesn't believe that we should help settle people who move here. And instead, he attacks them. And that was the purpose of a budget impasse, so that the state couldn't fulfill its obligations as a communal entity. And that is what we need to return to as a society.
1: Thank you, Mr. Kennedy. We'll take our next question from the floor.
6: Hi, how are you? Um, I'm at Hamid and I'm from Zakat Foundation of America. So uh, Zakat Foundation of America is an international humanitarian organization that works, uh, uh, operates in over 40 countries, including the United States, where we operate on our social services, provide uh, social services. So my question is, the budget crisis has crippled social services that survive on state funding hurting everything from mental health services, Meals on Wheels for homebound seniors to domestic violence support centers. How will you support the organizations that create a safety net for the most vulnerable in Illinois when they are most affected by the failure to pass a budget? Thank you.
2: And we'll begin with Mr. Hardiman. Yeah. Well, we have a uh, part of our 2020 plan, the Hardiman Avery 2020 plan includes protecting uh, social service providers i just had a meeting with the uh, child care service providers on the west side of chicago and once we pass House Bill 453, which is a financial transaction tax, for those who don't know, that's a, a, a nickel tax on the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, Chicago Board of Options, and the Chicago Board of Trade, and it can bring in $3 billion of new revenue to the state of Illinois. And as your governor, I would work with all the members of the General Assembly to lock some funds in to make sure if there's a budget impasse, we, we must continue to fund those much needed programs out there. That's important. That's why we need a governor that's going to take the bull by on the horn and really leave the state. Because too many people are hurting out here. They, they, a lot of people are going out of business because they cannot continue to, to pay their bills. And when you're working with your disability community, you're working in the drug addiction you know, business, you're working with uh, just service providers, you're working on all levels, you need to make sure your funds are there. You cannot worry about if you're going to get paid. Right now, Donald Trump, you know, even though we averted you know, basically a, a government shutdown for a few weeks, but what happened, the military was not even being paid for a couple of weeks. That's totally unacceptable. Uh, we must take care of the vulnerable populations out here, and it starts with funding all the programs and not, uh, not close down mental health facilities and make sure people have the services they need. And I plan to lock that in as your governor as a funding that cannot be touched. That's what we plan
4: to do, and hopefully that answers your question more directly. Thank you. Thank you. Mr. Kennedy. First let me say thank you, thank you for the question, and also thank you for your service. My wife, Sheila, and I run an anti-hunger program called Top Box Foods. We operate through about 120 different organizations all over Northern Illinois. We've seen what's happened to demand over the last couple of years, as people have been cut out from the support that they were receiving from other social service agencies, and now have to turn to us for support. My wife Sheila and I do that in part because we believe in Catholic social justice. Catholic social justice is derived from the notion of Abrahamic social justice and that framework that that affects everybody in the United States. We are largely the people of Abraham, Muslims, Jews, and Christians. Pope John Paul II. Thank you. Let's give it up for Abraham. So we we believe we believe in that notion. John Paul II summarized it best. He said, "Before the United Nations, dignity is the measure of man, or freedom is the measure of man's greatness. Freedom is the measure of man's dignity. Our role here is to give people greater freedom. But Bruce Rauner has attacked that. He's attacked the 800 social service agencies. The the end result of that is that the economy of the state of Illinois shrunk." And as it shrunk, average household income jumped 11%. That's nearly impossible to do, to have a shrinking economy and rising household income. There's only one way to do that. You push the poor out of the state. And when we pushed the poor out of the state, it made the rest of us who stayed behind look wealthier. That's immoral in any framework that you can devise. And thank you. And my framework for governance, my framework uh, for my family, my framework for my view of America would never allow me to do that. Put the poor first, and everything else will work out. But from
1: a policy perspective, Mr. Kennedy, how will you achieve that?
4: Well, the 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 policy is is really the budget, and the budget is a reflection of our values and. The fact that we cut off service to those uh, funding to the 800 social service agencies, that's a reflection of a moral point of view. And to serve the poor, to preserve the option for the poor, we need to fund those uh, social service agencies. And more specifically, we need to restore the American dream, the upward mobility that this country used to offer people who lived here, which means early childhood education, fully funding K through 12 education, making it possible to go to college uh, on a need-blind basis, access to mental health care, access to safe communities. There is a framework, and it works in other states, and unfortunately for us, Bruce Rauner doesn't believe in that communal purpose. Thank you. Senator Biss.
5: Thank you for the work you do. It's sacred work, and... As a society, we should honor it by coming together to support it, and instead, as a state, we've done the opposite. So let's ask what's happening here. Well, for the last three years, what's happened is that Bruce Rauner has chosen to use vulnerable people, people in need of social services, and yes, people who work to provide social services, as pawns in an unrelated game. And I use the word game intentionally. That's wrong. That's immoral. But for years before that, for years before that, as a state, we didn't do what we should to support social services then either. In fact, we saw throughout the Blagojevich administration, we saw cuts to social service providers that were seen as the most politically unprotected participants in our budget. It's fundamentally wrong. It's fundamentally immoral. And what's happening is we have a budget process that's driven by political power and not by community needs. What they want us to believe is that it's impossible to properly fund social services. That's what they keep telling us. Oh, they say, we would love to fund services properly, but we don't have the money. We would love to fund services properly, but the state's broke. My friends. The state of Illinois is not broke, the state
4: government is broke, and the state government is broke because the politicians
5: don't have the guts to build a tax system designed for the modern economy. And so to the direct question, what do we do? We repeal the flat tax provision of the Illinois Constitution, allow us to have an income tax code like our neighbors and ask the wealthy to pay their share. We tax the financial sector that has become a ballooning part of our economy fairly and rationally, so that we have a modern task code that fits the modern economy, and then we will be able to have a budget that is appropriate for the modern society that we live
0: in. The All right, questions. Radio Sound family, you're Illinois listening to the CIOGC Gubernatorial Candidates Forum, which took place January 27th at the Mecca Center in Willowbrook, Illinois. It's the first time a Muslim organization has been the sole sponsor of a candidates forum in Illinois. We're going to take a short break, and we'll be back in just a minute.
4: Assalamu Alaikum. Vision is starting a new initiative to provide crisis intervention to those in need. Through the crisis text line, anyone can text 741 741 and be connected via text to a trained crisis counselor who's there to listen and show empathy. The crisis text line is open to everyone. By texting the keyword SALAM, that's S A L A M to 741 741, users will be connected to a trained Muslim counselor whenever available. You can also volunteer to undergo training and become a counselor. For more information, visit soundvision.com.
3: Hey, America, we need to have a little talk. We've got more food in our country than we know what to do with. Food at the grocery store and food in the vending machines, fast food, health food, and seafood. We've got so much food that anything people don't buy, we just throw out. Yet 17 million kids in America struggle with hunger. That ain't right. Luckily, the Feeding America Nationwide Network of Food Banks has volunteers gathering excess food and getting it to hungry kids. They're kind of like food angels. Yeah, I made that up. It's kind of catchy. Hello, people. This isn't rocket science. We could solve hunger today. To start, become a food angel yourself. By supporting Feeding America and your local food bank at feedingamerica.org. That's a website. Duh. We can't do it without your help. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. (music)
0: Welcome back. This is Radio Islam, and I'm your host, Tariq el Thanks for tuning in. We are listening to the CLGC Gubernatorial Candidates Forum, which took place this past Saturday, January 27th, at the Mecca Center in Willowbrook, Illinois. The forum was moderated by Humaira Bassith, Vice Chair of CLGC Civic Engagement Committee, and we're going to pick up where we left off.
1: To round out the budget questions, the residents of Illinois, as Mr. Kennedy alluded to, are moving to other states. And part of the reason for that is the incredibly high property taxes and the tax rates that we're faced with. How do you propose to mitigate this issue while still solving the budget crisis? Let's begin with Mr. Kennedy.
4: So the property tax system in Illinois has become a racket and... It is destroying our state. It's robbing us of the ability to fund our schools, to fund community policing, fund mental health care. If you look at what's happening in Cook County, it's also, uh, it's also uh, based on racial outcomes. Communities, even wards, that are primarily uh, made up of people of color are overassessed, and other communities are under-assessed. The large commercial properties downtown are hugely under-assessed, and the taxes that they should have properly paid are then spread out over everybody else uh, in Cook County, and that's fundamentally wrong. We preserve that system because a handful of elected officials are property tax appeals lawyers. The Speaker of the House, Mike Madigan, is the most powerful person in the state. In that position of Speaker, where he controls all the legislation, he became head of the of the Democratic Party of the State of Illinois. From that position, he helped choose the the head of the Democratic Party in Cook County. He chose a guy named Joe Berrios. Joe Berrios is the head of the Democratic Party in Cook County, slated himself as the Cook County assessor. And now Mike Madigan appeals assessments to the fellow who he put in as the Cook County assessor. And it works really well. It just shouldn't. What they're doing is not illegal, but it should be. It should be. We should ban elected officials from having outside jobs that are adverse to the interests of the body they were elected to serve. That matters because as long as they're making money on this system, they'll never let us evolve to a graduated progressive income tax. They'll never let us do that. We had a supermajority in the House, a supermajority in the State Senate. We controlled the governor's mansion, and as Democrats, we did nothing to fix the broken system in our state. It's because a handful of people make money on that system, and that needs to end. And then we can properly fund our schools, reduce everybody's property taxes, and have a great outcome for our entire economy.
1: Senator
5: They're never going to let us do anything. We're going to force them to do what we need. That's what has to happen. So, the question is right on target. Our property taxes in Illinois are way too high, unlike neighboring states, unlike almost any other state. In fact, I think New Jersey is by most measures the only state that has comparable property taxes to Illinois. And it's for a couple of reasons. The most important by far is the way that we fund our schools. The way we fund our schools is with property taxes, more than any other state, even including New Jersey, by the way. Why is that? Because we have this flat tax provision in the Illinois Constitution, which says that in the last 40 years, even though almost all the new money's gone to the top, we can't access it with our income tax without also punishing middle class families and the working poor who have not gotten a raise. It's a system that is designed to fail. It is a system that cannot possibly enable us to raise the revenue that we need on the state level to fund our schools properly, and that leaves our school districts scrambling, raising property taxes to sometimes still not even find themselves with adequate revenue. So what's the solution? Repeal the flat tax provision of the Illinois Constitution. Use that to have an income tax code like our neighbors, that would enable us as a state to adequately fund schools in every zip code, not just a few places. And then you can significantly, significantly bring down property taxes. Oh, and by the way, I have legislation to clean up the broken assessment system, because it's not enough to only decrease property taxes. You have to make sure the assessments are transparent and fair, which today they are not. And all of this is difficult. It's true. And there are people in power who don't want us to do any of it. It's true. And the way that we win this fight is by organizing people to demand a government that works for us. It's not too much to ask. It's not too much to shoot for. It's achievable. It's done in other states. And when I'm governor, we're gonna do it here in the state of Illinois.
3: <laughs> Mr. Hartman.
2: Yeah, basically, uh, the Hartman Avery 2020 plan includes pushing for the graduated tax, income tax. So what we're looking at here is putting a freeze on property taxes statewide. We must do that first, put a place of freeze on property taxes. Everybody running for governor, all of a sudden, everybody's concerned about issues of people of color in the state of Illinois. I'm African-American. I've lived everything that everybody's talking about. I've lived this—the uh, mass exodus of African American people out of Chicago, out of the state of Illinois. We need a governor also that's going to speak up every now and then against the Israeli government and their treatment towards Palestinian people. We really need that, sincerely, sincerely. So back to my plan: instead of property taxes, increasing property taxes, we need a, gradu- a graduated tax. Uh, if a person's making fifty thousand or less, they should be paying one to three percent taxes. If you're making a hundred thousand dollars you should be paying three to six percent. If you're in a 250000 or more bracket, you should be paying six to eight percent. But if you're making a million dollars up to a billion dollars, you should be paying eight to 10 percent taxes, so therefore we don't have to continue to increase property taxes. Chris Kennedy got it right. You got Mike Magan, he's a property tax appeals lawyer. You got Joe Berrios going around robbing the poor people, you know, over assessing people's houses. People are struggling in Harvey, they're struggling in uh, Riverdale, Dalton, Calumet City, people are being overtaxed, and they're moving out of the state of Illinois because of the problems here. So we got a governor, Bruce Rauner, who's standing up there playing this guy-type of figure with the state budget, and he's, he's, he's playing the role of a tyrant, really, because he can care less about the working-class people, and that's what we have to get away from. So what Hardiman and Avery plan to do, I'm a progressive Democrat. We plan, and that's the reason we we'll, We would like to have people to endorse our campaign. I'm not looking for no endorsements from big time people. I would like for the voters to endorse our campaign. In other words, when I ran for governor in 2014, the poll said we would receive 5% of the state vote. We received 28.1% of the state vote. And together, we can make this happen for everybody. And
1: now, we'll take a question from the floor. The hardest-working man here today, everyone, Brother Ashad, please give him a hand.
6: <laughs> He's in charge of keeping our candidates to the timeline.
7: Yes. <laughs> uh, hello, candidates. Uh, my name is Iyub I'm from the Mosque Foundation of the largest religious
5: institutions in the state of Illinois. Uh, my question, because of the uh, budget crisis, certain <laughs> low-income students have lost access
7: uh, to uh, educational grants. And the cost of tuition uh, in the state of Illinois has increased dramatically. What do you propose um,
4: to solve this? I, mean, I, I think if you if you if you look at the state of California, they have a nine billion dollar is that right? Six billion dollar surplus this year. A lot of that credit goes to the current governor of the state of Illinois, Pat, or the state of California, Pat Brown. But the credit really should go to his father me. the current governor whose last day was yesterday I guess was Pat, that was Jerry Brown his father was Pat Brown Pat Brown in the late 50s, early 60s recreated the education system in the state of California he created a university system that was accessible to all it was supported by research universities a broad range of colleges and then community colleges all of which worked together if you went to any one of them you could transfer to all of the others it gave everybody an an inexpensive route to a college degree. We don't have that system in Illinois. Anybody should be able to finish college here. Need blind That means if, if you don't have the money, you should still be accepted and we should support you. You may have to start at a community college. You may have to finish at a community college. But we need to get everyone through university here. Uh, if, if that's their chosen path. It matters not just to the kids, but to all of us. When I was in high school and college, when I graduated, we moved to where the jobs were. That's not the way the American economy works anymore. Today, the jobs move to where the highly educated young people are. If we give the world highly educated young people, the world will give us its jobs. That's the formula that works in every other state, and we need to bring it back here to Illinois. Uh, Mr.
2: Hardiman? Yeah, when it comes down to college tuition, what we're looking at, right now in Chicago, city colleges are free for people that live in Chicago if they have a certain GPA. So what we would do on a statewide level, as far as our policy to move the college industry forward with students, is what we would like to do is look at uh, providing free college for college students up until the bachelor's degree level, as long as they maintain a certain GPA. That's important. Now, People are going to ask, how, do you, how are you going to pay for it? You pay for it with the progressive tax, and once again, a financial transaction tax, but we also we're interested in legalizing small amounts of uh, marijuana, you know recreational use marijuana, and to decriminalize marijuana as well. small amounts. I want to make that clear, so we can raise some revenue to, and then as governor, I plan to commute to sentences. Okay, I just want to say this for people that are locked up for marijuana crimes, because we must commute those people's sentences. But the reason I'm saying this is because we're going to raise the revenue, and it's going to be roughly about a billion dollars roughly to make sure that we provide free college for students here in the state of Illinois uh, until the bachelor's degree level. So that's how we can remedy that situation. I had to pay a student loan myself many years ago. I had to pay it, and it takes time to pay a student loan back. So grants, I'm interested in that, but I'm also interested to make sure that we keep brilliant students in Illinois so they can join the workforce here in Illinois, and I plan to have staff members uh, from all diverse, a very diverse staff and administration here in Illinois, so hopefully that answers your question. Okay, thank you.
1: All right, I'm going to go to what I call the lightning round. We're going to take your pulse.
4: Oh, I'm so sorry. I insist you give him a chance.
1: I think it would only be fair to do that. Senator Miss.
5: Even though we was late,
1: (laughs) (laughs) that just gave us an opportunity to get to know you more.
5: (laughs) I'll try to answer the question very quickly to make up for my tardiness. Uh, We have made a terrible mistake in Illinois with our rising tuition, with our massive student debt load. It's simply unworkable for most families. My wife and I had a family of four and were trying to figure out how to pay for childcare by the time we were done paying off student loans. And the problem's only gotten worse since then. Now, we made a decision as a society a hundred years ago. We said that in order to be an equal participant in the economy, people need access to elementary and secondary education. And so we set up a free system of public elementary and secondary education. Now it's 2018. To have equal participation in the economy, we need a higher education, and so we have the same responsibility for the same reasons by the same principles to create access to a free, high-quality, public higher education. Now, that's going to take time. That's going to take significant changes in our tax system. That's not going to be finished tomorrow. What do we do on the way from here to there? Let's start here. There's legislation pending in Springfield right now. right now to have equal access to all tuition assistance and all grants regardless of immigration and documentation status. We should pass that bill tomorrow. Let's start there. Let's not have a system where there's bias in terms of who can afford college based upon immigration status. That's completely wrong. I passed legislation this past year, over Bruce Rauner's veto, by the way, to create the strongest student loan bill of rights in Illinois of any state in the country. So at least while we're dealing with our tuition that's too high and student loan burden that's too great, borrowers have some rights and borrowers have opportunities to uh, to have the state of Illinois on their side when they're fighting with some of these loan servicers. And finally, though the goal of free tuition for everyone is a goal that we will not achieve immediately, there are steps along the way that will be life-changing. It is not all that expensive to make community college free. It's not that expensive for the state, but it's life-changing for Illinois families
1: we got to do that one quickly. I'm glad we gave him a chance. Okay, I'm just going to break up the the uh, seriousness, and I'm going to ask you really quick questions here. Mr. Kennedy, how much is a gallon of gas? Two
4: sixty-nine.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Senator Biss, what is the minimum wage in Illinois?
5: Unfortunately, $8.25 an hour, and unfortunately, way lower if you're a server who's eligible for tips, even though that loophole shouldn't exist either.
1: Mr. Hardiman, what county are you in right now?
2: I live in uh, DuPage County.
1: All right, with that, we'll go to our next
2: floor question from Mecca Center.
6: Good morning. Um, My name is Shireen Hussain, and I'm a board member here at Mecca. Thanks for coming. Um, My question is about gun control. Do you feel our current state gun laws are adequate? How do you intend to stem the flow of guns into those neighbourhoods where gun violence is taking a heavy toll? Um, This might be more about um, working with neighbouring states.
1: Uh, with regards to gun um, gun control, do you feel that the current laws that we have on uh, board are adequate? And then how will you uh, work to help those neighborhoods where the flow of guns is impacting them most heavily? We'll begin with Senator Biss.
5: Our gun laws are not adequate in the state of Illinois. And we see that reflected in the tragic, tragic gun violence that is a scourge in neighborhoods in much of this state. It's unacceptable. It's unacceptable. So there are things that we can do on the state level. We ought to pass gun dealer licensing. Right now, we don't have a state level license for gun dealers. So even though we know which suburban gun stores are the source of many guns used to commit violent crimes in the city of Chicago, we can't do anything about it. We finally passed a bill out of the Senate this year to create a license of so the state could pull a license from such a store and stop them from selling these guns to people who are not supposed to have access to them. That bill is still stalled in the House. It's time for us to pass that bill. There's more that we ought to do. We came close in the Senate, but didn't get all the way there. Couldn't find the votes to ban high-capacity magazines. Think about that. Think about that. We ought to be banning bump stocks and assault rifles. There is more that we ought to do. And I have been fighting hard for these changes. I will tell you this, though. The change on these issues is not fundamentally going to come from the Capitol building. The people of Illinois are beginning to change in their attitudes on these issues and are beginning to push for common sense gun safety, and that is beginning to have an impact. But we are just a little bit of the way there. Now, your question is fair, though. There are not impermeable borders to other states, and so we have to work with our congressional delegation and work with neighboring states to enact same policies, because lots of guns that are used to commit crimes in Illinois are purchased. In Indiana, Wisconsin, I know that, and I will be working aggressively with our delegation in Washington to do our very best on those issues as well. But let's just end here. The current situation is unacceptable. The kind of hate crimes that the Muslim community in particular is living in fear of are beyond belief. And that's not only a problem for the Muslim community. That needs to be a problem that every single human being in this country works every single day to address.
2: You can always count on me. Always count on me to stand with uh,
1: so, uh, Mr. Hardiman.
2: Yes, I'm also T. O. Hardiman, the former director of Ceasefire Illinois, it is a proven public health model that gets results in reducing you know, you know, situations of gun violence. I would like to say that there's a House bill right on, out there now, House Bill 271. That's the ammunition coding bill in which, you know, you can have ammunition where you can code so you know where the bullets came from. But a lot of times, I just want to say this. I want to go on the record and say this. The real problem in Illinois is, is the illegal gun trade. So as the governor, I would work, I would set up a task force to work with the state police and the ATF to make sure we intercept more of the illegal gun trade because that's where the problem is at right there the legal gun owners are not part of the gun violence problem in Illinois. There's no data to back up the fact that legal gun owners are part of the problem. Now some of these gun stores, I've marched in front of Chuck's gun, gun shop out in the south suburbs. I've marched against gun violence all my life. But we as a people, as a culture, uh, like I said, I have experience in this particular field, okay? So the reality is we must get out of response mode. Everybody's in response mode when it comes to gun violence. Over 85% of the killings that occur in Chicago occur in the African-American community and statewide is the African-American community. Number one solution to stopping the killings in Chicago right now is African-American men must unify like never before and address their issues in their community. That's number one. I just have to tell you because if it was happening in any other community, the people in the community, the men in that community would unify and address that issue. That's what we plan to do. And once I become governor, I plan to uh, command an audience with, our, excuse me, with all of these young guys in Chicago, roll our sleeves up and go to work and reduce gun violence by 60%. Okay. I just want to make that clear. I still have a few seconds. See, a few seconds. Clearly we know clear. who the timekeeper is. Yeah, I'm, I'm, looking, I'm, looking at the, I'm looking at the timekeeper. <laughs> so, so I do support the Second Amendment. But remember, it's the illegal gun trafficking that we have to stop immediately here in Illinois.
4: Thank you. Mr. Kennedy. I think the the reality is that violence that can happen everywhere will eventually happen everywhere. And none of us is safe. That's the story of the Kennedy family, and it's the story of too many people who live in Chicago and in other communities around Illinois. We know what to do. We know how to fix the problem. And yet we don't. We know that we should license dealers, that we should ban bump stocks, that we should ban high capacity magazines, that we should close the gun show loophole, that we should interdict more guns coming out of Indiana, Kentucky, and Wisconsin. We know that we should end straw purchases. We know that the gun trains need greater security when they're parked in our communities so that the gangs don't hit them and release guns into the community again. The Democratic Party has responsibility in this area, though. Repeatedly, repeatedly, we passed or half-passed legislation and failed to get it done. We passed messaging votes. Oh, we almost passed the bump stock ban. If you just gave us a little bit more money, elected one or two more Democrats, we'll get it done for you the next time. How can the Democrats, which had a supermajority in the House, a supermajority in the Senate, control the governor's mansion, never have done anything about the scourge of gun violence in the state of Illinois. We need to look at ourselves, and we need leadership that's going to take us to a different place because it doesn't have to be like that. We know how to end violence. We know, as T.O. showed us, how to interrupt it once it begins. We know how to divert kids at a certain age, a certain time of day away from a life of violence. We know how to treat kids who uh, are suffering from PTSD who need social-emotional learning in school. And we know that, most importantly, opportunity is the enemy of violence, and economic oppression is its partner in crime. We need to address all those issues, and then we can reduce the homicide rate in our state. Thank you, Mr. Kennedy. The next question.
1: What solutions do you propose to decrease the disproportionate incarceration rate of African-Americans and increase employment opportunities for African-American and other minority youth. We'll begin with Mr. Hardman.
2: Yes, once again, part of the Hardeman Avery 2020 plan, uh, which includes converting some of these minimum security penitentiaries into institutions of higher learning. So we can help reduce recidivism for African-American people, but for all people in the state. But right now, African-American people only make up 17% of the state of Illinois, but we make up over 60% of the Illinois Department of Corrections prison population. So a lot of work has to be done. So what I plan to do is match some of these uh, young men and women that are incarcerated with employers. So once I convert some of the, some of the minimum security penitentiaries into institutes of higher learning, I will match these young men and women with employers, so when they're released from prison, they'll walk right into a job. That's very important. Then also plan to commute the sentences of people that are locked up for marijuana crimes. We're gonna commute their sentences. And then also, this is a big issue right here because right now, unemployment is 43% for African American young men between the ages of 20 and 24 in Chicago, Peoria, Dec- Decatur, and East St. Louis. So as your governor, I plan to make sure we have a robust economy to help more in economic development and working with small businesses so that we can help these young men, when they go back to their communities, gain employment as well. You know, Governor Roundup went on the record saying that Amazon should move their second headquarters to uh, St. Louis, Missouri to boost the economy in Southern Illinois. If that be the case, you're the governor of Illinois, you're saying a business should move to Missouri, You know, you need to step down for real. (laughs) So what I want to say is this. I propose to move that headquarters to East St. Louis. That particular city has had no development, redevelopment in over 30 years. We can boost the economy in Southern Illinois then. But the reality when it comes down to making sure that we uh, avoid so many young African-American men being incarcerated, I have ex-offenders on my staff right now. I have ex-offenders, I've hired over 300 ex-offenders when I used to operate Ceasefire. And now we have ex defenders working all over the state. So when it comes down to the African-American community, I plan to be a pure champion like I've already been for over 20 years.
1: Mr. Kennedy.
4: As as I think many of the people in the room know, my family was involved heavily and, and continues to be in the civil rights movement. The expansion of civil rights for everyone in the United States goes back to that notion of freedom of extending freedom to more and more people, which is the value of our country and, and of our religion as well. But we've been rolling back those civil rights. In fact, we've been criminalizing race. We've been criminalizing poverty. We've been criminalizing mental health. In terms of race, we know that the police officer who pulls over a suspect is more apt to think that suspect is guilty if the suspect is African-American even if the police officer himself or herself is also African American. We know that the judge trying a case, more apt to find somebody guilty if they're African American, sentence them to a longer sentence if they're African American than if they're white. We know that that's going on in in our court system. We know that, that the judge who sets your bail often determines your sentence because of the cash bail system in Illinois. If you don't have the wealth to Uh, Bail yourself out. You probably lose your job while you remain in jail and your life spirals out of control. We know that we've criminalized mental illness. The largest mental health care provider in the state of Illinois is now Cook County Hospital. Opportunity is the enemy of all of this. In Chicago, we have 30 high schools a couple of years ago where the average ACT score was a 14 or a 15. People that score that uh, go to schools that are that underfunded. You're going to have a hard time making it in the modern American economy. They're going to be forced into crimes of survival. They're going to commit those crimes till they get caught. Then they're going to be sent to a criminal justice system that's going to put them in jail, teach them those skills, release them on the street with no plan for how to deal with their mental illness and their lack of skills, and they're going to return. We have a $35, $36 billion a year budget in the state of Illinois, and we could use that to help the people that we need to reemploy. Thank you. Thank you. Senator Biss.
5: Let this be the time that we think boldly about how to transform our racist criminal justice system. Let's not engage in half measures. Let's not engage in a couple little steps. Let's understand that the system from the beginning and beginning the policing in the streets all the way until the policies around returned citizens are fundamentally racist in the way they're applied. And so our campaign has a bold criminal justice reform platform specifically targeted at this very question about the disparate impact on people of different races. So let's start with our sentencing system. We need to take a comprehensive look at sentencing. And yes, that needs to begin with nonviolent drug offenses. I support legalization of the recreational use of marijuana specifically because of the massively different way that those laws are applied in communities of color, as compared with mostly white communities. I support ending the racist war on drugs, viewing it instead as the public health problem that it is. But we have to go way far than that when it comes to sentencing, because mass incarceration was caused by generations now, honestly, 30, 40 years of poor sentencing policies. We need to change our policing. We need to be far more aggressive in recruiting a fully diverse police force and having the right kind of trainings around unconscious bias and community policing for people in our police force. We need our policies around reentry to actually be designed around healthy reentry into the legal economy as opposed to a kind of recidivism merry-go-round. That means removing more bars to employment. That means ending the kind of de facto housing discrimination that exists for returned citizens. And that means directly investing in communities. Because your question ended where my answer is going to end. What do we do to create economic opportunity in communities that have seen it slip through the cracks and fall away? And the answer is direct investment. These are communities that have been victimized by generations of systematic disinvestment by the state of Illinois and by municipalities. And the solution to disinvestment is direct investment to create jobs.
1: Gentlemen, What does it mean to you that Illinois is a sanctuary state? And we'll begin
2: with Mr. Hardiman. Well, it means a lot to me uh, personally, uh, and I must say this, and I I go back in history sometimes. My ancestors were brought over here on the bottom of slave ships, on the bottom of slave ships. Just think about that for a second. So that's the reason why I said early on, no human being should be seen as illegal immigrants. Everybody immigrated here with the exception of my ancestors who were forced over here into slavery. So what it means to me is that we must protect human beings. Illinois should be a sanctuary state, period, because Donald Trump is dead wrong in regards to what he's doing. He's uh, calling country, you know, people from Africa, Haiti, and El Salvador. I'm not going to mention what he said, but you know the comment he made. You have a racist uh, president in office right now, and uh, we must protect people. We must protect people. You know, I stood up against the. You know, this is not related to your question, but I stood up against the bombing in Syria. We don't know how it is when people are being bombed, losing their kids, and all that kind of stuff. So we, it's our job as Americans to protect people that are here in America. That's why I said, if you were raised, if you were raised in America, I plan to make sure you stay in America. That's why I support DACA. You know, I got it wrong the other day. I was saying if you were born, I correct myself. But if you were raised in America, you should be protected right here in the United States, so I totally support a sanctuary state But not only that, I plan to stand on the front line. I'm not going to just give you some lip service. I will be out there at every march, every rally, every protest on a national level, international level, and a local level right here as your governor. I'm not going to go hide behind issues because it's not popular at the moment. We're going to stand up all the way. That's my answer for everybody. That's it. <clears throat>
1: really quickly, I see some people standing in the background and there are some seats here. If you can move over and open up those aisle side seats so people who are standing in the back can come sit, I would appreciate that. So if you wouldn't mind just making some room for your friends. Um, Next we'll go to uh, Senator Biss.
5: What it should mean is that Illinois welcomes everyone. What it should mean is that the government of Illinois is on the side of all people of Illinois, regardless of immigration status, regardless of documentation status, what it should mean is that we know that our lives are better, all of us, our state is stronger, all of it, our economy is more vibrant, every bit of it, when we're a place that welcomes all immigrants, when we're a place that wants everyone to be here, when we're a place that includes everyone in the fabric of our daily life, and when we're the place that gives the same opportunity to everyone. I don't think we're in that situation yet in Illinois. I was very proud to co-sponsor the Trust Act, and I'm glad that that bill was signed into law. But that should be the beginning and not the end. We need state policies that make sure that not only um, state police, but all municipal police and all government officials across the state are on the side of our residents, not collaborating with federal immigration authorities who are following the racist directives of Donald Trump. We need to have strong, welcoming policies in every single municipality in every corner of Illinois. And when I'm governor, I'll be standing at village board meetings and city council meetings working to ensure that we get those policies passed. And we need a government that looks like the state of Illinois, not like what Donald Trump wants the state of Illinois and the United States to look like. That means including in the cabin people of every walk of life, every color, every religion. Yes, Christians, Muslims, and Jews. And it means including in appointed positions in boards and commissions. It means having an Illinois Muslim Advisory Council that actually functions once again. It means making sure that Muslims have visible roles in state government and that Muslims themselves are lifted up to speak for the community and that the rest of us listen and support.
4: I think this is an incredibly important issue, particularly at this time in American history. If you look back in history, history of the world, almost in any century, there's two ways for a weak leader to solidify their base. One is to attack a neighboring country, to start a war, to rally around nationalism. And the second is to attack a minority population within their own country. I think Governor, or President Trump appears to be going down both tracks. I think he, he's belligerent towards North Korea. And I think he's belligerent towards immigrants in the, in the United States. The senseless attack on young people, the senseless attack on minorities, this attack on refugees, it's offensive to everything that we believe in as Americans. And yet it's occurring, which means that we have to, we have to defend ourselves and we need strong leadership in every state. The state of Illinois has not done enough to create the the values of a true sanctuary movement in our state and Governor Rauner shares some of the blame. The Trust Act was important, but didn't go far enough. We have a gang database in Chicago that's being abused, used by uh, federal authorities to help with deportation. We have sheriffs and others around the state who have tried to cooperate with Trump and ICE, and the governor remained silent during that process. I think there's a great role that the governor can play, creating immigration-safe zones, make sure that anybody involved in... Going to church, medical facility, hospitals, schools, are free of any sort of threat. But that takes leadership and somebody who believes in the history of our country and the powerful message around refugee and immigrant rights. Thank you, Mr. Kennedy.
1: We'll now take our next question from the floor.
2: Good morning. Good morning. My name is Joanne Shelby. I'm a lawyer from Orland Park, Illinois, but my question is on behalf of MCC. Uh, Currently, there are many state boards that have no minority representation. What will you do to ensure that representation in Springfield correlates with the diverse ethno-religious backgrounds of Illinois residents? And we'll start with Senator
1: Biss.
5: You can't have a government that works for the whole state if you don't have a government that looks like the whole state. And that's what we have right now. That's what we have right now. So I'm committed to making sure that my cabinet looks like the state of Illinois, with a majority of women, with appropriate representation of African-Americans, Latinos, Muslims, Arab-Americans, appropriate representation of people from every walk of life who we are supposed to be serving as a state and who we cannot properly serve if we don't make sure that every community is truly represented. And by the way, when I, mean, when I say represented, I mean really represented, with true voices, a true seat at the table, there to represent a point of view and be heard and listened to and learned from, as opposed to being there to represent the administration to the community. Now. I also think that there are crucial boards and commissions, crucial boards and commissions, where a tremendous number of important decisions about economic justice and civil rights are made on a day-to-day basis. And those boards and commissions sit half empty, and they sit very white, and they sit very male. And it's wrong. When I'm governor, we're not going to have that. And the way we're going to solve that problem is by having people from every community including the Muslim community with a seat at the table in the process where we populate these boards and commissions so that the community itself will say, listen here's the extraordinary diversity and strength and knowledge and sophistication and ideas and creativity that we have to offer here are some names, here are some people who would like to serve and who have backgrounds and knowledge and ability to serve and that will happen on the front end not on the back end I mentioned the Muslim Advisory Council because I think it's important for the community to have a real voice at the table. Not a pretend voice, not a token voice, not a list on a website somewhere that doesn't meet, but a real voice and real participation in the administration. You have my word that that's how I'm going to function. And you can believe it because that's how I function as a state senator and a state representative. I've learned a lot from the community. I've had the privilege of working with the community. I've done my best to reflect the community's values. I'll always continue to do that.
4: Thank you. Mr. Kennedy. I think it's, it's critical to the functioning of government that people believe in that government and they can't believe in a government that they are not part of. I, I came to Chicago and I got involved with a number of the things that Harold Washington was doing. I chaired the transition committee for the first African American to become head of the Cook County Board, John Stroger, and I served on a number of groups with Rich Daly, and he was very disciplined about making sure that every committee, every group, reflected the broader content of the city of Chicago. I don't see that in leadership in our state today. I think we've gotten away from it. I think Bruce Rauner has surrounded himself by people who look exactly like himself. That's not where I found success during my business career. If you look at how I ran the Merchandise Mart, if you look at how I ran the University of Illinois, I run the Kennedy office, my experience on the Aerial Mutual Fund Board of Directors, Top Box Foods, all of those organizations reflect great diversity and an active effort to make sure that that our group reflected the, the very people that we were trying to serve. I would institute a Rooney Rule. Mr. Rooney was the owner of the Pittsburgh Steelers. He got concerned about the lack of diversity in the coaches and executive offices of National Football League. And he got the rest of the owners together and he said, we need to institute a rule where where we have diversity in every candidate pool for every executive job anywhere in the NFL. And that has changed the face, the look, and the diversity in the NFL itself. I think that Rooney rule we've adopted and. Um, in multiple businesses that I've been associated with, and it has great outcomes. I think the idea that, that we listen, that we learn, that I reach out to all of you, vet candidates with the leadership, so that we know that the people that we appoint, before we appoint them, will be acceptable to the community.
1: We want you to be well-versed in the acronyms we use in our community. MCC stands for Muslim Community Center on the north side.
2: <coughs> Mr. Hardman. Yeah, uh, quickly, you know, our campaign is powered by the people, and right now I have a Muslim brother working on my campaign, brother Tyrone Muhammad, who's in the audience right now, and we have to be a reflection of the entire state, you know. I'm the kind of individual I put a lot of work in over the last 25 years in all the diverse communities statewide. I've worked in Decatur, East St. Louis, Peoria, Springfield, Champaign, Urbana, Waukegan, you know, just to name a few places. And I've always had a good relationship with everybody. Some of my first mentors were like, I never met Brother Malcolm X, El Haj, Malik Shabazz, but I respected him growing up as a kid as far as reading about him. One of my Islamic mentors, Brother Farid Rashid, he's passed on now. That was one of my first Islamic mentors, so I've been a part of the Islamic community all my life. I was raised Islamic, you know, Muslim, with my family, my brothers and my uncles raised me in Islam, okay? I just wanna say that, so it's a no-brainer to me. That's the reason I have staff right now, and my staff is gonna reflect women, Muslims, people from all walks of life is very important. That's why I'm asking everybody to take a look and think out of the box. Voting for these millionaires and billionaires is going against everything we're fighting against right now, which is privilege. We need a governor that's gonna really represent the people in Illinois and uh, show a diverse staff presence in Illinois once and for all. And I do agree with Chris Kennedy, uh, because i looked at his administrative staff. No people of color there, zero. And that's totally unacceptable. What, is he scared of people of color? I mean, really, what is he scared? So we have to get past this uh, Islamophobia. We have to get rid of all these phobias we have out here. And let's make it happen for the good working class people. That's why I'm running what you call our campaigns Powered by the People. I would like to be seen as the alternative to the billionaires, and I'm gonna use the word trillionaires too, because what happened to these billionaires? They want to become the governor. They might be worth three billion dollars now. Once they become governor, they, they lead office. They'll be worth thirty billion then. They're gonna rob everybody of everything we got in the state of <laughs> Illinois. Seriously. So I, I want you to take a good look at our campaign, Hardiman and, uh, and Avery campaign for governor here. Thank you, <laughs>
1: For the next question, do you see a difference between mass casualty violence committed by a white supremacist lone actor and violence committed by an individual claiming allegiance to a foreign terrorist group? Do you see a difference? And how will your administration address prevention efforts related to both types of hate-inspired violence? We'll start with Mr. Hardiman.
2: You might to ask me that question again. <laughs> no, I got you. I got you. No, I've, uh, basically, my track record, uh, I've been standing up fighting against hate crimes, and when you talk about, matter of fact, ask me the latter part of that question, when you talk about I want to get it right.
1: Do you feel that both of these, there's a difference between the two, and how will you address prevention efforts for hate-inspired violence?
2: Well, we would, I would set up a task force to really take a look at working, We would. we would have to work with law enforcement officials on a higher level. We would have to work with the FBI, we would have to work with the CIA. There should be a task force comprised of all the key uh, law enforcement you know, uh, and, and, you know, law enforcement professionals to make sure that we prevent hate crimes and we can see it before it happens. I'll tell you something, what's going on here, detect it before it happens. In other words, I'm the creator of the Interrupters. that's the Violence Interruptor Initiative, and it was all about detecting crimes before they happen. So I would set up a task force to address it that way because it's of many forms of hate, many forms of white supremacy. I'm the only candidate standing up here, sitting up here today, that stood up against white supremacy, neo-Nazism, stood up on the front line against police brutality and excessive force. You have to remember that the Department of Justice came to Chicago, conducted an investigation on CPD, and they ruled that CPD is one of the most corrupt police departments in the United States. T.O. Hardiman was right on the front line to make sure that Superintendent McCarthy was fired here in the, in the city of Chicago because of his racist regime, if you ask me. So I have a proven track record in that area, but what I would do to prevent it, I would work with law enforcement agencies so we can get on the front end of it and make sure that it never happens again because you got all kinds, of, see this is the thing, you got overt discrimination, you have covert discri- discrimination and racism, so we have to have a make sure we have a good balanced team effort in order to identify it, (coughs) excuse me, um, identify it, detect it, and then interrupt it because it's all about the front end with me, the front end, because everybody comes after the fact. Every time you have a mass shooting in another city or state, everybody wants to go to the news ways and talk about it, how they could have prevented it. If you spend a billion dollars on law enforcement and you cannot prevent an attack, something is wrong with that, because you have a lot of intelligence out there on the ground level, we have to work harder in the prevention area. I'm pussy, Machiavelli once said, when you introduce a new idea, it's one of the hardest things to do out here because people are used to the norm, the status quo. I'm about prevention. All right. Uh,
1: Mr. Kennedy, do you see a difference, and how will you work to, work to prevent?
4: I'd say this. The, the bullet that kills the father wounds the son. There's no comfort in who pulled the trigger. There's no comfort there. So... So on some level, it, it doesn't matter. But that wasn't what the question was. The question was, what do you do about prevention? And the truth is, in the United States, we're all much more likely to be killed by a, a domestic, uh, in a domestic incident. Somebody from the United States, homegrown here, probably suffering from mental illness, who seeks to make a point. Sometimes we never know what their strategy, what their motives were. But that's our enemy in the United States. Somebody who's among us, an American, suffering one way or the other, misperceives what's going on, misperceives their own role, and kills a lot of people. That's happening much more frequently, much too frequently in the United States. And and our president, is misdirecting us, focused on foreign wars and the risk of, of terrorist attacks against the United States. He's he's using that to rally his base. And instead, he allows us to focus on one issue when we should be focused on the other. And the truth is we need to look internally. We need to look at ourselves. We need to look at why this country is producing an epic of Mass shootings. And the governor of the state of Illinois and the President of the United States refused to talk about it. And we need to make that a central theme of of the of our country as we wrestle with our own self-identity.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Senator Biss.
5: So as I understood it, the question was is there a difference between Mass shootings done by a white supremacist white for one set of political motivations mm-hmm. as compared to by a an individual
1: with allegiance to a foreign terror group.
5: Yes, and the answer is, of course, there's a tremendous difference in how the President of the United States talks about these two incidents. That's the difference. The difference is that the President of the United States apologizes for the perpetrator of the first nightmarish crime and uses the second crime as an opportunity to further drive racial wedges between people, to gin up a climate of fear, which he uses for his own political goals. And it, is, it, is, it is one of the most uh, appalling things that I've seen done in American politics. That's the difference. The difference is that the president calls one set of people very fine people and uses the other incident as an excuse to go after the innocent. So we need to take all of these tragic, nightmarish situations with equal seriousness and extraordinary seriousness. We cannot possibly accept a situation where some of these Incidents are kind of viewed as inevitable or, or we're desensitized to them. We have to create a culture and a climate that views this kind of behavior as completely, completely uh, unique and shocking. We have to respond in unity every time anything like this happens. We have to provide the kind of services around mental health that are important. To put a stop to it, we need to make fundamental changes to our gun policies, and most of all, we need to be unified around these questions and not allow them to divide us, because the division is what fuels the next incident.
1: Thank you, Senator Bates. It is commonly perceived that politicians are beholden to their largest donors. How will you protect the civil rights of Illinois citizens if those interests conflict with donor
2: preferences? Mr. Hardiman. Yes, a good question. Uh, My campaign is really, I say, powered by the people. Uh, I'm running what you might say is the middle class, poor people's campaign. I would like to be seen as an alternative to the billionaires and billionaires, sincerely. Mm -hmm. And therefore, I'm not, I don't owe nobody anything. There'll never be somebody that can come to me and say, look, I need you to return a favor to me because I donated to your campaign. I'm not looking for that. I'm just looking for the people to vote for the Hardiman and Avery, uh, you know. Uh, Administration. Also, when it comes to corruption, I plan to videotape all my meetings with a special interest group and lobbyists. We videotape the meetings, therefore, there will be no margin for error right there. So, uh, to answer your question more directly, that's not going to be an issue with the Harvard Navy campaign because there will be no big donors to my campaign. We we need to raise money, don't get me wrong. We're doing our best to do that. But at the same time, we're doing good. I ran before. The polls had me at 5%, once again, and we secured 30% of the state vote. And I'm really the front-runner in this race, but the media will not say that, because we're ranking at 18% of the polls right now, and based on my previous uh, you know, poll count, we're doing pretty good. So uh, I'm not gonna spend a long, long time on, on that answer, because the reality is I'm not looking for no big-time donors that can call me and tell me to change my mind about something. Because they gave me <laughs> $50,000, or they gave me $100,000 telling me they're gonna pull back because they don't like something I said. So I don't want to be in that position. If you're gonna be a pure champion for the people, you need to have your independence from donors and everybody. I'm a progressive Democrat, and we're fighting for change in Illinois, and that's my answer.
4: Mr. Kinney, I think that's a great question, and you see the role of big money as it's affected the decisions and the people of the Democratic Party and the Republican Party as we go through this election cycle. The truth is, we have a culture of fear in our state. We have a culture of fear in the Republican Party, one in the Democratic Party, and uh, truthfully, it's playing out across the United States as well. 330 million — 330 (coughs) families gave more money to Republicans during the last presidential cycle than all the other donors combined. In Illinois, two or three families gave more money to Republicans or they get 80-85% of all their money from just three major donors. In the Democratic Party, all money really flows the behest of the Speaker of the House, and if you cross swords with him, that flow of money will be cut off. If you look at how I'll react to that, uh, you can see. You can see from the history of the primary what's happened during this election. I spoke truth to power. I said what Mike Madigan is doing is not illegal, but it should be. And that money was cut off. I was threatened by him. I was was told not to speak out against him by people associated with the party. And I said, no, I'm gonna gonna speak the truth. What's happening with the property tax racket is destroying our schools, doing the next generation to a life of economic servitude. I spoke out against Rahm Emanuel and what's happening in the city of Chicago, and my donors dropped. It's important, though, to continue to elect people who will speak up, speak out, stand up for everybody's interest and not just the money that's flowing into these elections.
5: Thank you. I do appreciate the way in which you asked the question about what happens if the biggest donors come into conflict with our fight for civil rights and civil liberties. As it turns out, my biggest donor is actually a lawyer for the ACLU. So I think we're on good stead in that regard. But let me say this, the money in our politics in general and the money in this campaign right now are a cancer on our democracy. It is dangerous, it is scary. And it is something that all of us should not only be outraged about, but should be fighting hard against. I will tell you in a secret, little known thing about me: I'm not a billionaire. I'm not even a millionaire, and. It's possible that I'm a thousandaire, but it depends a little bit on how much our home is worth. and it's you know, The assessment process is kind of hard to figure out, so I don't know. And because of that, I was told, don't even bother running. Don't, don't even bother. And yet, we find ourselves here in late January of 2018, right in the hunt, with thousands of people having come to our campaign, thousands of donors who have enabled us to raise millions of dollars and have put together a competitive campaign, endorsed by moveon.org, on Thursday, an organization of hundreds of thousands of grassroots activists across the state of Illinois. That's the way to win an election that leaves you beholden to the people of the state of Illinois. And that's the kind of election that we are going to win. There are people who will tell you that in an era of Rouner and Trump, it may be sad, but the only choice the Democrats have is just to do the same thing and find our own billionaire who's nicer, And what I will tell you is that these people are giving up on democracy. I'm running for governor because I have hope in democracy, I have faith in democracy, and I'm asking you to join us.
1: If net neutrality is repealed by the federal level, would you be willing to support a statewide initiative to make the internet a public utility? We'll start with Mr. Kennedy.
4: Absolutely, absolutely. I don't want some corporation deciding what I should be able to watch, the speed at which I should be able to download. I don't want them influencing my decisions around content. I have a friend who wrote a book. She's written a couple of them. So uh, she's got a great publisher, great editor. Um, It was all about going to camp, letters home from camp. They're very funny. These miserable kids writing their mothers and fathers saying, "Please rescue me. It's terrible here." So the second book comes out, and one of the kids uses a swear word, and uh, so they—it's sort of a funny story. And then uh, Walmart says, "You know, we're not gonna—we're not gonna sell that book. You got to—you got to edit it." And the—you know—the authors like, "I don't want to edit it." They're like, well, then we can't sell through that channel. If we don't sell through that channel, we really can't get the volume. You've got to do it. So they do. So we have a big American corporation determining the content of a book we read. And I think that's just dead bang wrong. I don't think we want big corporate America determining what we get to see, how we get to see it, and when we get to see it. And I fight tooth and nail to preserve net neutrality in the state of Illinois. Mr. Hardiman. Yeah, I concur with uh,
2: Chris Kennedy. I must say that because we would have to fight for this because you know the private companies should not have a say-so in our households at all. We have to protect the consumers on all levels. We have to do that. So I'm not going to talk long about it, but I do support. And I'll make sure in Illinois that we take it to the highest level to protect net neutrality to the best of our ability. All right.
5: Senator Biss. I love that you asked this question. This is great. Uh, Net neutrality is really important. Net neutrality is really, really important. What we see in America today is a new corporate world of giant quasi-monopolistic corporations that have unbelievable amounts of power in our daily lives, whether it's utility companies or whether it's companies that mediate the information that we get it's really a problem. And what what the repeal of net neutrality that the Trump administration is pushing is all about is giving some of these largest corporations in the history of the world more power over what information we have access to and what information we don't have access to, how we can communicate with each other and how we can't communicate with each other. So the answer to the question is yes, I will do everything I can as governor to use the power of the state of Illinois to ensure that we have net neutrality here by regulation or by contracting or by setting up our own public utility. But I also wanna thank you for asking this question in this room, in this forum, because it's directly related to what we're seeing in this country right now with racism, with Islamophobia, with the efforts to suppress dissent with the efforts to stop organizing in areas that are considered to be subversive or considered to be unpopular. If we don't have a free internet, it will be that much easier for the state or the federal government to push down the voices of Muslim Americans in their effort to communicate with the public and organize with one another to build community power. Net neutrality is about lifting up populations, creating new opportunities, and I am all in for net neutrality. All right.
6: Thank you.
1: For this next question, I'm going to restrict the time to one minute. I'd like to um, make sure that we get all the questions in that we have slated uh, for the three of you today. So in one minute, please tell us, if your administration is asked to pass along voter data mm-hmm. to the federal government, how will you advise the voting commission? And we'll begin with Senator
5: Biss. I'll say no. <laughs> i need a minute for that. There are attacks on voter suppression. There are efforts to stop communities from voting, whether it's people in poverty, African Americans, immigrants with the legal right to vote who are nonetheless often suppressed, the old students. But there's also the underlying profound fear that the federal government is going to start to set up registries. The state of Illinois should not do anything under any circumstances that could be used as a, collaboration with the federal government in setting up a Muslim registry, ever. When I'm governor, I will not allow that to happen, and if God forbid the federal government sets up a Muslim registry, I will be first in line to
2: register. Mr. Harding. Now, I'd say no to that without a doubt because uh, that's the problem now. We have to, we have to uh, protect voters, protect people's personal information, and protect consumers out here. We have to do this. And as a governor, I, I must lead that charge. There's no doubt about it, no hesitation in my mind. <clears throat> they could not um, uh, retrieve that information from me under gunpoint. <laughs> I just want to say that because we need a governor that's going to stand up for real and be a champion for the voiceless people out here. And that's what I plan to do as your governor. Okay? Mr. Kennedy.
4: I don't think we should cooperate with Donald Trump's federal government. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen that on anything, ever. Hopefully, will get indicted here soon enough, and we won't have to deal with it anymore. I, I think that that effort is really a distraction. It's an idea that uh, somehow uh, he won the popular vote, and he's going to try to prove it by getting data from multiple states. And I think anybody who cooperates with him is just feeding into that notion of. Sort of a mental sickness where he can't get over the fact that, in reality, Hillary Clinton beat him by three million votes. Never forget that. It is
1: it is perceived as some as a slippery slope to the Muslim registry, and so it is for and, that reason.
4: And obviously, that you know that's something that you think other countries do in other centuries, and we would fight that as governor of Illinois. Any attempt to create a registry is offensive to. Me as as an Irish Catholic, me as an American, me as a member of the Kennedy family, there's no way we allow them to do that, not with anything that we get here in Illinois. Absolutely. Thank you. We're almost at the end, gentlemen. And this is regarding
1: um, the Affordable Care Act. So prior to the passage of the Affordable Care Act, Illinois had excellent state-level health care coverage for children specifically. Given the dramatic changes to health care laws at the federal level, what will you do to ensure that Illinois residents have access to adequate health care coverage? And we'll start with Mr. Kennedy.
4: So, so I, I think that, that the most important thing is just a long-term goal. What are we trying to do? I think we need to cover everybody, make health care a right. I think it's critical because of social justice issues, moral issues, ethical issues. But I also think it's critical to restoring the American dream. Nobody should be one sickness away from bankruptcy. We shouldn't have that threat hanging over every family in America. Certainly not every family in Illinois, and it doesn't have to be like that. I would bring, I think that the great resistance to single payer healthcare, which is where I think we need to be, is the insurance companies. So who's going to battle the insurance companies who are powerful enough to do that? The only group that's powerful enough is the large employers. I think we aggregate the large employers, allow them to work together, not to collude, but to work together to create pools that eventually combine into a single-payer solution that drive down the cost of prescriptions, drive down the cost of health care to allow us to cover everyone in the state. Senator Biss.
5: I know that Illinois had high-level Medicaid coverage for children before the Affordable Care Act because I wouldn't be here if it weren't for that. Because when it came time for me to run for state representative, I had to leave my job to do it. Karen and I had a very small child, and we had to figure out what we would do to ensure that that child had access to health care. And if it weren't for Medicaid at one point and COBRA at a different point, I would not have been able to run. That's a very common story in this state. That's a very common story in this country. And I think anyone who's gone through that understands that healthcare should be a right and not a privilege. Healthcare should be a right and not an option. And the way to do that is a single payer health care. I'm the person in this race who's fighting for single payer health care. I'm the person in this race who's been fighting for single payer health care throughout. And I believe that if we want single payer health care on the federal level to allow us to bargain with the pharmaceutical companies and we Bring out the inefficiencies and the profiteering that happens with the insurance industry, a state has to go first. Illinois should be that
2: state. (laughs) Mr. Hardeman. I, too, support single-payer health care and uh, Medicare for everybody here in the state of Illinois. We have close to 900,000 people uninsured in Illinois. And a, a lot of people can sit up here and talk a good game in regards to you know, you know, Medicare for everybody, you know, single-payer healthcare, but there's an astronomical cost associated with it. So we have to find a way. The only countries that really have got it right is Singapore and Switzerland. You know, they have universal care. Everybody's covered. So I would study their systems as well and work with the federal government to make this a reality in Illinois. That's important. We have to partner with other states out here to make this uh, happen for everybody here, like I said. So that's what we would do in the Hartman and Avery, you know, uh, far administration to move this issue forward because health care should be a human right. It should be a human right. Nobody should struggle with health care here because people are hurting out here. If, you, if you're one paycheck, if you get sick and you lose your house, that's not that's totally unacceptable. So we have to put some safeguards in place to uh, protect people and also challenge the pharmaceutical companies. These pharmaceutical companies have all care. They can raise prices whenever they get ready to. And as a governor, I plan to work with the commissions to make sure that we bring an end to that type of practice, so people can afford you know, their medicine and all those kind of good things. That's my time, okay.
1: So ladies and gentlemen, we're at our last question for this afternoon. Gentlemen, we have a room filled with mostly minorities of all different, um, from all different ethnicities, but many of whom are now targeted by some elements of society. What will you do as governor to ensure that Illinois is a state welcoming to all of its residents? And how can we count on you? Mr. Hardiman.
2: Well, first of all, I'm one of your Muslim brothers sitting up here. OK? am once again. And secondly, I am a minority. I am a minority i'm an african-american young man running for governor here i've been discriminated against i've dealt with racism the mass exodus of my people leaving uh chicago i mean all the issues we're associating with right now so as a governor i've been a protector of all anyway that's what i've been doing my entire career so it would be like a no-brainer for me in my administration to make sure that we protect all people not just African American people, all people. You know, we know a lot of times there's some misconceptions out here. You got people struggling out here, you got white people struggling, you got farmers struggling down in central Illinois. They need support out there. One point seven million people <clears throat> living in poverty here in Illinois, and that's all people. So we have to be a protector of everybody. Women's rights, you know, is you know, Muslim rights know, children's rights, the disability community, the veterans, the senior citizens, people from all walks of life. So I don't want to just get caught up just because I'm African-American. I'm running for governor because I'm qualified as well. But I have a proven track record in standing up for everybody
4: as well. Check my track record out. Thank you. Mr. Kennedy. Well, I've been targeting Muslims for years. (laughs) (laughs) People engineer our buildings. Targeting Muslims to cure my diseases. Targeting Muslims to run the great schools of education that we have in Illinois. Targeting Muslims to be my friends. Targeting Muslims to help me run the merchandise market. Targeting Muslims to help run the University of Illinois. Targeting Muslims to invest with and alongside. Targeting Muslims to educate my children. Targeting Muslims to date my kids. Targeting <laughs> But that's not so much true. But it is going on. <laughs> I want you here. I want you by my side. That's what I want. And I'm going to set the tone at the top for the entire state. Let them know that you're our friends. My friends in particular. Thank you very much.
1: And finally, Senator Biss.
5: You know, I come from a tradition of people who say, Shalom Aleichem. It sounds a lot like Saddam Aleichem. And we are cousins. And that is a history that is deep and profound and is, is somehow covered up by ugliness and racism and division that hurts both of our peoples. And that division extends to racism here in the state of Illinois and the country that hurts our state and hurts our country. Yes, it is hardest for the Muslim community that is the victim of hate crimes and is, yes, targeted right now, but it makes all of us weaker, it makes all of us smaller, it makes all of us poorer, it makes all of us sadder, it makes all of our lives less meaningful and less vibrant. And I'm running for governor to build a state that works for all of us. I'm running for governor to build a state where Muslims have an equal seat at the table Yes, we talked about the Muslim Advisory Council we want to talk about the way in which we've had days in Springfield, Muslim Action Day, that allow the community's voice to be lifted up. When I'm governor, that voice will be louder. When I'm governor, that seat at the table will be larger. And when I'm governor, we will work together, jointly, hand in hand, arm in arm, shoulder to shoulder, to build a state that at long last works for the rest of us. Thank you very much.
1: So before I ask Brother Abdullah to come to the stage and close, I'd like to take a minute to thank the Civic Engagement Committee and the staff of CIOGC for working for many, many weeks to put this together um, late into the night and at um, all hours of the day and night. So first, let me acknowledge the chair for the Civic Engagement Committee, Sister Alia Hussein. Would you please stand and so welcome you all. And along with her, the person who um, really kept me in line today, right, Mr. Hardiman? Um, yes, yes. <laughs> is uh, Brother Irshad Khan, who is from the Sonic Foundation Committee. Community. <laughs> uh, Sister Sena, who is uh, staff for CIOGC. Uh, Sister Farha, I don't see her, but she is also staff for CIOGC. And, um, of course, Dr. Osman, the chairman of our board. Dr. Osman, if you would please stand so we can all move to the And Sister Alia Herzala, who is also part of our civic engagement committee. And a board member as well. And, of course, our fearless leader, Abdullah Mitchell. And with that, I'll ask Brother Mitchell to close for us.
7: By all accounts, based on your, the questions and the responses we heard, your enthusiastic your enthusiastic response to those responses from the candidates today was a success. We have, as a community, shown to these candidates that we are thoughtful incisive in our in our analysis of the problems, and we are looking for genuine, real solutions from them if they are going to assume the role of governor for the state of Illinois. He also challenged us as a community to remain engaged. They're asking for your support. They've given their points of view. It is incumbent upon all of us as concerned citizens in the state of Illinois to remain engaged, to continue to challenge the the candidates with tough questions, and follow and understand what is happening in this election. This is crucial for us as a community, not only as Muslim Americans, but as Americans who live in this state. We must remain engaged. Let me also share with you, we uh, in terms of carrying forward with that, there is an opportunity for you uh, to register to vote. We have a deputy registrar upstairs, so those of you who are not registered to vote can uh, vote. The other thing uh, we wanted to do is we've had a number of candidates who are running for office who have patiently sat with us to learn about our questions and what we have to say. A number of them are Muslim, so at this particular time, I would like to ask all the candidates who are running for any office in the state of Illinois, please stand for a moment, please. Uh,
6: these, uh, these
7: young people, uh, enough, as, we, as we mentioned earlier, Some have had to leave, but uh, they are um, a number of our Muslims, as I stated, showing that they want to be involved. We've also had people that are interested in our points of view and are reaching out to us as candidates, as we have here at the table as well as in the audience in terms of running for positions of leadership in the state of Illinois. We have a table uh, up, there is a table rather, up on the first floor where they've had an opportunity to leave their literature there. If you're interested in finding further about any of the campaigns here, or our young people, uh, people who are running for office, please go to the uh, uh, up on the main level to get that particular information. So, let me close our with these remarks, and it uh, I'm going to get a little religious on everybody, but it's going to be neutral, and a lot of uh it is customary for Muslims to close out a meeting with the recitation of one particular chapter in the Quran. And it's so meaningful for us because it's the challenge that each of us, the candidates, have placed for us and what we have placed before the candidates. And what it is that it is telling us is verily by time we as mankind are in loss except if we believe and we counsel each other to follow truth and counsel each other in being patient and striving for what is truth. That has been the call this afternoon, this morning, not only by the candidates, but us as the community. Let us once again come together, follow this advice. Let us remain true in seeking for truth and working this no matter what patience and perseverance we have to give. Thank you.
8: like one last word it won't take more than 30 seconds and you guys are standing which is very appropriate much of what you saw today was the result of the vice chair of the civic engagement committee who was too humble to acknowledge herself so i would like to acknowledge our moderator sister homera bassett who did an exceptional job first moderator of the first Illinois Muslim-hosted gubernatorial candidate forum is not an easy task, but she took it on with grace, and she did it with class, and this, my friends, is what a Muslim woman can do. We are not oppressed. If anybody says we are oppressed, come meet the Muslim women of our community. We are Muslim. We are
0: American, and we can do anything. Radio Sound Family. Before we close out, let's hear a few thoughts from CLGC Executive Director Abdullah Mitchell, who shared with us after the forum had concluded. What is your assessment of of the of the whole event now that now that we've come through it
7: now that we've come through it i'm i I, it was a success i think what happened is we were able to convey to the candidates who the muslim community is our talents expertise and knowledge and what we actually bring to the table and being a partner in making the state of illinois better and then from the candidates point of view we got a chance to learn their positions about the budget Pension reform, uh, uh, violence in the city of Chicago. So it it, I, it was a win-win situation.
0: Now uh, we had three candidates uh, that did uh, that. Uh, the R S V P showed up. Uh, we had uh, Senator uh, Daniel Bess, um, Chris Kennedy uh, uh, of, of the historic Kennedy family. Uh, formerly, uh, I think he ran the merchandise mark uh, yes. for so many years. Uh, and uh, T. O. Hardiman. Yes. Of, uh, of ceasefire. Yes. Uh, but we had those three come. Do you feel like people got a, a better sense of who these three individuals are? Um, because there was a lot of agreement, but there were some moments of, I think, of distinction uh, that, that was uh, displayed today. Do you feel like folks got a good idea of who who these three are?
7: Uh, no, no question about it. I think even. Oh, over and above, learning more about the candidates, I think it gave us an opportunity to learn more about what the issues are as these candidates see for Illinois. That gives us some further food for thought that we can go back in our meetings and gatherings to further analyze this and to crystallize our position and, and, and invite them response to those new positions that we've taken, or refined positions, I should say, that we're taking. So I felt that the discussion was healthy, even though there was a, a level of agreement, because once again, if it's if you're asking if the street is black and the street is black, the street is black. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right. Well, Radio Sound family, what I want you to remember, also all to remember, especially those of us in the Chicagoland area, that we are a constituency that is over 400,000. Uh, and I think today was as much a testament about Uh, Candidates recognizing that uh, that there is a a power within that voting block, as it was uh, an opportunity for us to also get to know them. So, Alhamdulillah, keep up the great work. Anything you want to? Any last message for the Radio Radio Islam family?
7: I want the Radio Islam family to keep their ears to your show because the next move we make, they're going to know.
0: All right, good stuff. Thank you. All right, Radio Islam family, thanks for tuning in. This program was produced. Recorded and engineered by Tariq Alameen. The executive producer is Abdul Malik Mujahid. The views expressed by the host and or guests do not necessarily reflect their views of Sound Vision Inc. Well, it's time to go, so we leave you as we greeted you. Assalamu Alaikum, may the peace that only God can give be upon you.